The red tinge of a sunburn spanned across Wood's nose and cheeks. She turned a page of her book and pushed her bangs off her forehead and into a cowlick. Sweat beaded on her neck and shoulders. Fans and air-cooling gadgets only worked with a steady stream of magic dust, so Steins had neither. The magic dust grid of Greater Terrison didn't extend to the bikeway narrows, and no one had the magic to spare for something as trivial as cooling the air. Instead, everything slowed, and the bikeway narrows became even more estranged from the quick-moving world of Greater Terrison. I can't stand this. Wood threw her book on the table and fanned herself with her hands. She narrowed her eyes at Sim and then leaned toward her. Ice my coffee, she whispered, pushing forward her mug. I don't know. Sim glanced around. I shouldn't. No one's going to notice. Please, Sim, I'm about to faint from this heat. Sim nodded and bit her lip. All right. She wrapped her hands around Wood's mug and shut the cafe noises and coffee smells out of her mind so that she could focus on the energy in her chest and icy thoughts from her past. The magic flowed into her body and out of her palms in a tingly wave. Sim took her hands away and put them on the back of her neck. A shiver ran down her spine from the sharp change in temperature. Ugh, I love you. Wood grabbed the coffee, put it up to her cheek, and then drank it in gulps. You're the best. Come here, Sim said. She glanced around to make sure no one was looking and put her hands on Wood's face, just under her ears. That feels so good. Wood closed her eyes and put her hands over Sim's. She leaned closer and guided Sim's fingers down onto her neck. A giddy feeling fluttered in Sim's stomach, and she fought the sudden urge to pull away. Sorry I'm so sweaty and gross, Wood said, leaning back in her chair. She held Sim's hands on the table and wiped her sweat off them. Sim swallowed. It's fine, she said. It's crazy how you can just do that. I'm going to ice mine, too. Sim pulled her hands away and cast the spell on her own coffee. She felt that she was being awkward, but she didn't know how to stop. If you've got it, you got to use it, Wood said, cocking her head. No shame. I know. I just think that Prudence was probably right when she said, Yeah, yeah, I know. You've got to be subtle and secretive. But how did you deal with it when you were growing up? It was never a big deal. There were a ton of spells I had to do for Jaylenique, the girl I worked for. She was too lazy to do anything for herself. I'm a pro at waterproofing, thanks to her. She was really sensitive about her dragon leather boots. She sounds like a bitch. She was. Sim clenched her jaw. She is. Even though she hadn't seen Jaylenique in months, the very thought of her still hardened Sim's heart with a solid hatred. Well, it's a good thing that you got away from there. It was really brave of you to just run away like that, without having a plan or anything. Sim stared down at the table. It, it wasn't brave. I didn't have a choice. You always have a choice. It was so easy for me to move to Terrison for school. Like, the road here was paved with gold. I was living in this huge, inbred bubble of privilege before I found the Narrows. You'd hate it, Sim. It was so boring. But it's not so bad now that I know how to break free, I guess. Anyway, we should get to work. See you here after? You know it. Yes, Azur yelled, and a loud crash came from the back of the shop. A pair of charmed headphones slipped out of Sim's hands and scattered its pieces across the cluttered countertop. Azur burst through the curtain, almost at a run. 
I did it, Azar said, coming up to the counter with his eyes sparkling. It was so obvious the whole time. When you're trying to augment vision, you can't just create an instrument and calibrate it. You have to make sure it self-calibrates to each individual. Of course. Wait, what? Azar. Sim waved a hand at him to remind him that she was there. I have no idea what you're talking about. A smile brightened Azar's face. He took a step back. I think you might be impressed. He lifted his hands, holding a pair of goggles with tented lenses and belted leather strap. Haven't you always had those? These aren't ordinary goggles, Sim. Azar looked down at them admiringly. Words can't do them justice. Try them on. Sim hesitated. She told herself that she wasn't going to test any more of his gadgets, not after the compass incident. But she sat her jaw, took the goggles, and pulled them over her eyes. Their glass was dark like sunglasses, but other than the shaded room, everything looked normal. I don't think it's working. You have to calibrate it. Each time you put them on, you have to activate them with your own energy. Sim looked at him. But then only people who can calibrate will be able to use them. Just try them out. Immediately, Sim could feel that the goggles were different from anything Azar had ever made before. A bond opened between her and the gadget so that her energy was constantly flowing into them and their magic constantly flowing into her. It felt strange. The goggles became a part of her, just like her fingernails or teeth. Sim opened her eyes to a world full of color. Azar glowed yellow with a pulsing rainbow belt where he kept his tools. Everything in the shop took on a new dimension. The compasses and headphones and treasure boxes glowed in indigo, magenta, and violet. The pocket watches and leather gloves and old bike wheels, things that didn't need calibration, stayed as they had always been, though now they looked colorless, lifeless. At the beginning of the day, Sim had set up a bookshelf to display Kai's potions, which Azar had agreed to sell. Behind the goggles, they looked like tubes of neon with smoky light seeping from their cork stoppers, probably from the potent plant magic held in Kai's herbs. The tree that Sim had sculpted in wood wood had first come into the shop glimmered with colors somewhere beyond violet. It's a trip wearing them in here, isn't it? Azar said with a laugh, like being on pixie pollen. Come on, let's go outside. It'll make more sense out there. Sim tiptoed behind him, walking slowly so that she wouldn't get overwhelmed by the assault on her vision, but Azar was right. Everything was calmer outside. They went across the street. The incubator looked like a glowing circus sandwiched between dark apartment buildings. Some of their windows shimmered with a light blue glow. Thin red latticework, like flimsy fences made of red light, guarded a few of the doors. Azar smoothed his hair back and slid a pair of bronze goggles with clear lenses over his eyes. Masking spells, Azar said, pointing to one of the windows. That's how the dwarves have been making it seem like this place is deserted. He saw Sim looking at one of the red fences and added, Those would be the alarm charms. You can see the gadget glowing there in the upper right corner of the window. A shock of green light streaked across the air just above them. Sim stumbled back. What was that? She breathed. Azar laughed and clapped his hands. Magnificent, he said. They're picking up the long-distance charms as well. You can send messages or charms as far as you want to, so long as you have enough magic dust. But I'm surprised to see a long-distance charm all the way out here. You see, every spell that's cast or charm that's activated leaves behind a magic trail. That's what these goggles are showing us. How do you take them off? Azar's excitement faded a notch. I thought you'd want to experiment with them more. I do, but I just don't want to break them on you. 
They're yours. You get to have the first pair. Sim started to protest, but Azur held up a hand to stop her. In return, you could play with them and let me know what you find out. You're more in touch with your magic than anyone else I know, and I can't just give them to anyone off the street. You felt the connection stay open, right? Sim nodded, and, and Azur continued. I'm hoping that you can direct the goggles to show you other things, or to control how much magic you see, depending on how much energy you put into them. I need you to explore that for me. Okay, Sim agreed, though she still felt hesitant. There had to be a reason people couldn't usually see magic trails. She wasn't sure if the goggles were a good thing or not. Just be careful not to drain yourself, Azur warned. Right. Sim closed her eyes and drew her magic back into herself. A strange feeling sucked at her mind as the connection broke apart, similar to the way her ears felt when they were underwater and then suddenly came up into the air. Sim pulled the goggles from her eyes and put them up on her forehead. Azur had done the same, making his bangs stick straight up. Back to work, he said with a laugh. Back to work, Sim agreed, following him back inside. She was about to put the goggles away, but stopped and narrowed her eyes at the headphone part strewed across the counter. She pulled them over her eyes again. As soon as she calibrated the goggles, the different parts of the headphones glowed in different colors. Some pieces had two or three colors glowing from them, and some had only one. When Sim put a red, yellow, and blue cog onto a blue spindle, the cog turned blue and the colors of the other pieces shimmered and changed. There were more blues now. Sim attached a yellow and blue dial to the cog and spindle and watched as it all turned blue. The colors shifted again. It was like a puzzle. She was finished in ten minutes, holding a pair of headphones which glowed bright indigo in her hands. Azur, she yelled, still staring at the headphones, hardly believing what she'd just done. Clinking and shifting sounded in the back room, and Azur reemerged with the bronze goggles over his own eyes. He looked to the headphones and smiled. I don't think we're ever going to look at the world in the same way again, Sim. Sim smiled back and nodded. I guess not. For the first time, she felt the fuzzy satisfaction of knowing that she was present for the beginning of something important. She couldn't quite wrap her head around the thought, but suddenly the tiny bikeway narrows and terracin encased in its stone walls and even all of Pulkra felt new and bigger than it ever had. Adventure, and she didn't even have to take a step to find it. White flower milk latte, Sim told her favorite barista, the dark-haired girl who had no issues with yelling at customers to shut up when they got out of hand over a silly political argument. Sure thing, she said. Her words were lilted with a slight Sikorian accent, so that she skipped the H. The dragon screamed, and the white flower milk frothed. At the espresso machine stood the silently brooding beast man. That's what Sim liked to call him in her mind, since the dragons never seemed to give him any trouble. He was quiet, straightforward, and didn't feel the need to engage in meaningless chit-chat with the customers. He was a poet, maybe. Sim wasn't sure. After hanging out in the same cafe for months, she still didn't know the employees' names. It was easier to pretend that she didn't care. The smell of hot coffee calmed Sim's nerves as she scanned the tables. The cafe was quiet at the moment, with the awkward writers scribbling in their notebooks, and the illustrators calmly inking sketches on the backs of old flyers, and everyone else pouring their attention into either books or zines. Wood was sitting at the end of a long communal table, her bangs hanging in front of her face, and her attention absorbed in a thin pamphlet. White flower milk latte, the beast man said, just loudly enough for Sim to hear. 
He slid the drink onto the counter, gingerly switched dragons, and started on the next order. Sim smiled down at her mug. A fairy danced in the foam, drawn in the delicate, dark lines of crema. It was impressive, but Sim was too distracted to tell him she thought so. She walked slowly toward the empty seat across from Wood, who flung her bangs out of her face and scribbled something. Working hard, Sim asked, standing across from her. Wood looked up with a slightly annoyed expression, then smiled when she saw who it was. Oh, hey. She put her pen down and ran her fingers through the long part of her hair. Her eyes settled on the goggles hanging around Sim's neck. She grinned and raised an eyebrow. New look? Azur gave them to me. Sim put her latte on the table and sat down in the chair. I like it. They look good on you. As long as they're not hiding those beautiful eyes of yours. Thanks. Sim blushed and ignored the compliment. There, she looked around to make sure that no one was listening, even though Azur had never told her to keep his new invention a secret. They actually allow you to see magic as it's working, like neon streams of light. I've hardly used them yet, but... They make fixing gadgets so much easier. I wish I could show you. So then do, Wood laughed and held out her hand. What, she said when Sim paused. Well, you have to calibrate them yourself or they won't work. Wood's face fell. She laughed again and raised her eyebrows to cover her disappointment. Seriously? But hardly anyone knows how to calibrate. He'll never be able to sell them. I know, that's what I told him. Wood leaned back in her chair and looked away with a frown. I'm sorry, Sim said, scrambling for something that would make her feel better. I shouldn't have even brought it up. It's not even really that big of a deal. But it is, isn't it? Wood snapped her gaze back to Sim. The best schools in Polkra teach kids how to calibrate when they're in elementary school, when it's still so easy to learn. But those are all private schools. My parents aren't poor by any means. My dad's a healer in the town where I come from, and they're paying for me to go to college now. But... There's no way they could have afforded a fancy private school where I could have learned how to calibrate. At least you get to go to college, Sim said softly, and you won't have to borrow from the banks. I know, Wood threw out her arms in an exaggerated shrug. I shouldn't be complaining, and yet I can't help but feel like I've been cheated. They were quiet while Sim frowned down at the fairy in her latte and Wood glared off at the wall again. Anyway, I have to pick classes for next semester. Wood turned back to her pamphlet. Large stars already marked the margins next to the classes that she'd been considering. I really wish I could take one of these magic-weaving classes. Then I could learn how to calibrate and spellcast. But my parents refused to get me a wand. And they'll only pay for tuition while I'm in school, so all the money I make at the bookshop has to go to rent. I have a wand, Sim said. She'd nearly forgotten about it. I'm not using it. You could have it. Really? Wood scrunched her eyebrows up and together. Yeah. Sim shrugged and wondered what she was getting herself into, even as the words slipped out of her mouth. She scratched at the spots of wax that had dripped from the chandelier above them. Someone gave it to me. It's literally just sitting in my drawer. You'd be putting it to good use. Wands are a lot of money, Sim. I wouldn't be able to. You can pay me back when you're a successful magic weaver, Sim said with a smile. That would be so awesome. I can't even begin to. Wood shook her head and beamed. That's really, really nice of you. I have to register for classes next week, so so I'll bring it to the Narrows tomorrow and give it to you then. Wood squealed and hit the table lightly with her palms. The latte cups at Stein's were wide and shallow, perfect for Sim to hide behind, pretending to sip at her drink. 
when she was really covering a a content smile. But in the back of her mind, she wondered if it was really a good idea to give away the wand that Sir Nagran had enlisted her to steal, the very wand that was the reason she had no choice but to run away from her old life. But she was sure it would be fine. No one would know that it had belonged to Leonidas Lightshield. Cater had said that explorer wands were common. Awesome, Wood said, writing in her notebook. So then that takes care of my monody and remedy afternoons. I'll I'll schedule everything else around that. I can take ancient Munian literature or the economics of magic dust. Hmm. What do you think? Wood leaned forward to push the pamphlet towards Sim so she could read about each class. Their knees pressed together under the table, and energy tickled Sim's body so that her chest felt like it was inflated with helium. She pulled her leg away and sat back farther in her chair, pretending to focus on the class descriptions. Munian literature for sure, Sim said. Definitely, I would never take an economics class. As much as Sim tried to listen to Wood's explanation of why economics was the bane of humankind, she was distracted by thoughts of what she'd just done, offering to give away that wand. But she had told Wood that she could have it, and now there was no going back. Sim took another sip of her latte and smiled at whatever Wood had just said. It would be okay. This would bring them closer together. They'd be better friends now, and they'd have another excuse to hang out. Sim let the happy energy bubbling up from her stomach overshadow that little itch of worry, and the whole thing was easily forgotten. The wand was still in its place in her bottom drawer, now buried beneath a bundle of her old clothes. The wood was smooth to the touch, and just slightly gnarled at the end where it fit perfectly into Sim's hand. Cater was leaving his meditation room just as Sim was on her way downstairs. "'What you got?' he asked. His face was calm and his eyes clear. He was on a high from standing on his head for so long. There would be no hiding anything from him. "'It's nothing,' Sim said, but handed him the wand anyway. "'Ah, this again. How exactly did you get your hands on it?' "'It's a long story,' she said. They stared at each other for a moment, and then Cater grinned. His dimples were deep and his eyes sparkling. "'Okay,' he said with a short laugh and a shake of his head. "'No explanation needed. I'd keep it close, though. That's a pretty sweet amplifier.' He gave it back to her and went toward the steps. Baking smells from the kitchen drew Cater like a magnet." Sim sighed as she followed behind him, though she wasn't sure why she felt so relieved. "'Keep your fingers out of there,' Kai snapped. "'I just want a little,' Cater whined to annoy her. "'Heading to the Narrows?' Prudence asked when Sim passed the living room. She was sprawled on the couch, wearing ripped black jeans that looked like she'd owned them her entire life. A half-read book hung from her hand and reading glasses perched low on her nose. Prue was never awake this early. She glanced up at Sim. "'Care if I ride with you?' Sim's response caught in her throat. Just need to grab some things, Prue added. I can wait, Sim said quickly. Yeah, let's head over together. Prudence folded down the corner of her page and threw the book and her glasses onto the coffee table. Meet you in the back. Kai appeared from the kitchen and stood in the doorway between the foyer and the living room. Where are you two off to? She pushed her clunky frames up her nose and then said to Sim, I thought you didn't have work until later today. If you had a bike, you could come with us, Prudence said with a small smile, as she hurried past Kai and ran up the steps toward her room. I would kill myself if I got on a bike, Kai yelled at Prue's back. She turned to Sim, looked at her for a moment, and then went back to the kitchen. 
I made breakfast bars, Kai said, reappearing with a tray in her hands. You can take some with you. She held out a plate of mud-brown, green-speckled rectangles. Shimmering protection charms buffered a centimeter of air around each bar so that they wouldn't stick together. They're the best, Cater said from the kitchen. Take a bunch or I'll eat them all myself. Shut up, Cater. What? I'm being serious. I want some, Prue called from up in her room. One's good for me, Sim said, taking a bar from the top. The charm felt smooth and staticky. She slid it into her bag, between a book and a few tools from the shop. Kai followed Sim through the kitchen and stopped at the back door. Are you sure you don't want? I love these, Prudence said, and grabbed a handful of the bars as she passed her. Thanks, Kai. With a swirl of smoke, Prudence dispersed the protection charm and bit into the sludgy hunk of nutrients. Did you get some? She asked Sim, her mouth full. She shoved her aviators over her eyes. Sim nodded, and Prudence stopped at the bottom of the steps to turn back up to Kai with a smile. Thanks, Kai. You're the best. Don't cause any trouble, was Kai's stoic response. She turned from them and shut the kitchen door behind her. Don't you have something to do? Sim could hear her saying to Cater. Nothing but spend time with my favorite person. Prudence grabbed her bike and swung her right leg over the handlebars, which were low and straight, like on most of the bikes in the Narrows. She stepped onto her pedal and moved toward the walkway on the side of the house. Sim hurried to keep up with her. See, that's the thing about those cruisers, Prudence said. Once they were out on Kailash Street, she circled back and around Sim so that she was riding beside her. They're so slow. I know, but it's better than nothing, and I get to sit up straight. You should try to find a road bike. Keter can probably find one for you if you ask him. Prue took the lead, turning down streets that eventually took them through the Mondrian Quarter. Since the bridge incident, Sim had been keeping her ears perked for any talk of Mondrians, and from what she could tell, they weren't so different from the followers of Veldendor, except that they thought Mondra to be the one and true goddess, and they allowed the rules of her scripture to dictate everything from when they prayed to what they ate. The main road through the quarter was quick and dangerous, with carriages parked on both sides of the street. Mondrians were everywhere, crossing the road at the middle of the block, hurrying into shops, and gathering in unisex throngs outside of their temples. The men wore loose, bleached pants under their robes and white shoes. Pointed, felt hats rested on their head, even though the air was warm. The women wore long robes with white stockings and ivory pumps. Their hair was cut to the shoulder, slightly curled and covered with lace. From behind round eyeglasses, a man stared at Sim in her brown shorts and baggy button-down with an expression that made her feel not quite threatened, but extremely uncomfortable. Usually, the Mondrans wouldn't even look at outsiders. A truck was double-parked on the road in front of them so that it took up half of the street. Grunting dwarves hauled bags of flour across the sidewalk and into a small bakery. Prue glanced over her shoulder as they glided into the open lane. A driver behind them laid on his horn, angry that he had to slow down. She went to the side of the street again, in front of the parked truck, and Sim rushed to do the same. The carriage sped up so that it was next to Sim, then slowed so that it stayed beside her. At first she thought the carriage was turning right, and then realized that it wasn't turning at all but trying to shove her off the road. The speeding bumper was inches from her leg, so Sim swerved to the right. Her front tire smashed into a parked carriage and sent her flying off her saddle. Somehow she managed to hit the carriage sideways, her shoulder breaking the impact. Sim tumbled onto the sidewalk and gasped to catch her breath. 
Prudence stood in the street, one leg on either side of her frame, her arms flailing around her in wild anger, cursing at the carriage driver who was stopped at a red light. The driver leaned over the passenger seat and stuck his head out the window. He was middle-aged, but the anger etched onto his face made him look ancient. He pushed his fuzzy white devotional hat back on his head, and in a heavy accent he said, Stay off the road. Next time I'll run you over. You're gonna fucking kill someone, Prudence yelled back. Your kind aren't wanted here. Go away. The driver disappeared back into the car. Prue's jaw was clenched and her brows lowered over her eyes. Her hands were balled into fists at her sides. She grunted in anger and turned to Sim, who was picking up her bike and rolling it back into the street. You okay? She asked Sim. Yeah, Sim leaned over her frame and examined it. There were no apparent issues. Her shoulder throbbed, but she'd be fine. Good, let's go. Sim followed her, wondering why she was in such a hurry. The carriage was still stopped a few yards ahead of them. As she pedaled toward it, Prudence unsnapped the black pouch that she kept on her belt. A short sword, its length hidden by a desizing charm when sheathed, appeared in Prudence's hand. She gripped the handle and sat forward on her saddle. The first slash was quick and easy. Prudence leaned over the side of her bike and sank the blade into the carriage's rear tire. Air hissed out of it. Prudence was slashing the front tire before the driver could even react. Then she was past the car. Sim could see the Mondrian frowning at her as she flew past his door. Hey, what the... A stream of angry slurs came from the car window. The door clicked open. Prudence turned around to face the driver with a glare. She flipped him off and then she and Sim raced forward. There was no way he could catch them without his tires, but they still didn't slow down until they got to the bridge. In silence, they climbed the high incline and then flew down towards blocks and blocks of reddish factories that eventually led to the little wedge of a neighborhood that was the Bikeway Narrows. You'll never guess what happened to me on the way over here, Sim said to Wood as she eased into the seat across from her. Wood narrowed her eyes and cocked her head. Ran into a wild dragon? Funny, Sim said, and launched into the story about the Mondrian carriage driver. Wow, Sim, Wood said, looking worried. You're lucky you didn't get hurt. You're okay, right? My shoulder hurts a little, Sim admitted, but it'll be fine. I'll have Cater heal it when I get back. Wood nodded and frowned up at Sim. It's getting to be ridiculous, this feud between the bikers and the Mondrans. I know, Sim agreed. I just don't get it. The most direct way to the bridge is through the Mondrian corner. It's not like we do anything to bother them. We're just riding through. I mean, it makes sense once you understand Mondrian culture. Really? Some asked. She hated this feeling of being ignorant, but she couldn't pretend to know something that she didn't have a clue about. The scriptures of Mondra say that it's wrong to wear flashy clothing or to dress immodestly. When Mondrian children see bikers riding through in shorts or tank tops or bright colors, they start to question their parents and their beliefs, and the parents get pissed. But it's so hot out, Sim laughed. Of course we're going to wear shorts. They don't wear them. They deal with the heat because they believe that they'll be damned in the afterlife if they dressed immodestly. Seriously? Wood nodded. That's their religion. It's easier for them to follow it if they're closed off from the rest of the city. And they are, mostly. No one but Mondrans ever goes to the Mondran Quarter. No one has a reason to. Except for the bikers riding through to get to the Narrows Bridge. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to close down the streets to stop the bikers, except they won't do that, of course, because the Mondrans ride around everywhere in their carriages. It's the ultimate sign of wealth for them. 
that's crazy, Sim said. The streets belong to everyone. I agree. That's what I argued in a paper for the class I took on it last semester. But it's not going to change how the Mondrans view outsiders. I guess we'll just have to deal with it then, and so will they. Sim opened her bag and rummaged inside. So, I didn't forget. This was a bad idea. A horrible idea. She never should have brought it up. She put the wand on the table. It stayed between them for a moment, with Wood just staring down at it. Then she took it in her hand and the deed was done. I can't believe you're actually giving this to me. I'm sure you'll put it to good use. Sim forced a smile. She didn't want to talk about it anymore. She took her book and opened to the page she'd marked. Saffron and Polcrina were obviously into each other, obviously perfect for each other, but they were from warring nations and forbidden to love each other. At this point in the story, they were both doing all they could to hide their feelings, Saffron thinking that Polcrina couldn't possibly be interested in him, and Polcrina thinking the exact same thing. A wild thunderstorm had stuck them alone together in a cave, and Sim thought she knew exactly where things were going. Wood looked up at her with a glint in her eyes. Her smile held a touch of playful mischief. What? Sim asked. When do you have to go into work? Sim glanced at the multi-dialed watch that she'd built for herself at the incubator. Have about an hour. Really, she had a half hour. She figured Azur wouldn't care too much if she came in a little late. Things were always slow at the beginning of the day. Want to give me that spell casting lesson now? Here? Sim looked around the nearly full cafe. No, Sim, Wood said with an amused roll of her eyes. We can do it at the wall. I know a place where no one ever goes. Sim drew her lips to the corner of her mouth and put on a thinking face. Please, Sim, Wood said, folding her hands in front of her and leaning closer. Okay, okay, Sim gave in, though of course she'd planned on doing it all along. She took a mason jar out of her bag and sloshed the rest of her coffee into it. We'll be needing this, she said, holding it up. I'm starting you with my favorite little trick. Wood smiled so that her eyes shone and Sim's heart skipped a beat. Sounds great, Wood said. And they both stood, bundled their books into their bags, and headed across the street and through the green tunnel of vines and weeds that led to the old wall. You have to concentrate, Sim said for the third time. Wood was getting frustrated. She wasn't good at this, not at all. Nothing was happening. Sim had turned her coffee from hot to cold to hot to cold so many times that she was afraid that she'd shatter her mason jar. She rubbed her shoulder and stifled a grimace. The spot where she'd landed on the car was starting to throb steadily and give her a headache. I can't do it, Wood said, throwing out her arms. You can. Just concentrate and try again. Wood crossed her arms over her chest and glared off into the distance. Maybe you should just read the book, Sim offered. Wood met Sim's eyes with a sharp scowl. Maybe I should just wait for classes to start and then a real teacher can show me how to do it. Sim blinked and Wood looked back at the wall. You have to be getting to work anyway, don't you? Wood asked. Sim jerked her wrist up to look at her watch. An hour and a half had passed. She hadn't even thought of keeping track of time. Crap, yes. Sim wished she could do something, anything, to make Wood feel better. It took me a really long time to get it, Sim lied. I had to practice a lot before anything happened. You just have to stick with it. Right, Wood said, pressing her lips together. You can do this, Wood. I know you can. That had to be the energy she felt every time they were close to each other, some sort of magical ability that they held in common. 
If Sim had to lie to Wood to get her to tap into that energy and develop it, then she'd lie. If she had to step back and make herself seem less capable of magic weaving than she really was, she could swallow her pride and do that. A slippery confusion riddled Sim's mind. She wasn't used to thinking like this. She didn't know why she was acting this way. I have to get to work, Sim said, but I'll see you soon, and then you can heat up my cold coffee at Stein's. The comment fell flat. It was out of place, meant to encourage Wood when all it did was highlight her lack of ability. Sim turned away and went back to their bikes, feeling sadder than she had reason to. Wood followed behind her in silence and waved a demure hand when they parted. That day, Azer expressed his discontent with Sim's lateness through silence peppered with disgusted, berating comments. What a dumb idea, he said down to the counter when he nearly knocked off the mason jar she'd left there. When Sim forgot to let the glue dry on a broken-soled boot before sealing it with a waterproofing spell, Azer snatched it out of her hands and took it to his workshop without even explaining himself. Halfway through the day, he brought up the goggles, and Sim had to admit that she hadn't had a chance to test them yet. She'd been too distracted by the wand and wood, though of course she couldn't say so. Working hard, he said when he caught her staring out the window for a moment. After that, she worked extra quickly on the repairs, but he was still silent or quick-spoken when the day was over. At the time, it had felt like the obvious choice, to be late for work so that she could teach wood how to spellcast. And even now that Sim realized how crazy she'd acted, she still knew that she'd do it again if she had the chance. After work, she turned her bike away from Stein's and headed toward the bridge. She felt like Wood wouldn't want to see her, and a part of her was happy to wallow in the pseudo-heartbreak gnawing at her chest. It was a new feeling, soft and throbbing like a toothache. And everything would be so much easier if Wood would only start to hate her.